as we come to God's word. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that across the world, people are worshiping you this morning. That those pastors' wives we just saw in that video are worshiping you in their churches. And we pray that you would align their hearts to you and you would align our hearts to you as you teach us through your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Every so often, a defining moment comes into our lives. Some of them we can anticipate, some we can't. When my daughter had her 16th birthday party, I had a defining moment as a mom. She was the youngest of her group of friends, so her party came last. And by the time my daughter's party came, there had been a lot of really cool parties. There had been a mock casino-themed party and a pirate party and I don't know what all else. And this was before the era of Pinterest. (laughs) So, So there were no places we could find good party themes. So we finally came up with a really lame theme. It sounded dumb even to us. We, we went with an Alice in Wonderland theme for a 16-year-old party. You do that for a five-year-old party. But, but we went with it. We planned tea party refreshments. And, and the one cool thing we thought of was Alice played croquet with a flamingo right? So we bought a bunch of those stupid pink flamingos (laughs) to play croquet with. And, And the girls came, and they did play croquet, and they liked it. And then later in the party, totally unplanned, one of the girls turned music on on her phone and they started singing and dancing to the music. And, and in the excitement, one of the girls picked up her flamingo and started using it as a karaoke microphone. <laughs> and, and some of the others joined in and not to be upstaged, some of them grabbed their flamingos and started playing them as guitars or beating out the rhythm on their flamingo. And that then evolved into flamingo duels between the girls. It was amazing. And at one point, during all that excitement, one of the girls, who had had a really cool party, said very loudly, I wish I had had flamingos at my party. (laughs) Score. (laughs) That was a defining moment. From that moment on to a tiny sliver of the universe, I am known as the mom who threw the cool flamingo party. (laughs) My daughter and I still exchange flamingo trinkets every Christmas. It was a defining moment. Mary of Bethany had a much more significant defining moment. A moment that was so significant that she was known by it 
ever since. In fact, John introduced us to her by referring to that moment in chapter 11, a whole chapter before she did what she did that was her defining moment. He said, this Mary was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. We looked at that passage last week, but this defining moment is so significant that we're coming back to it again this week. So would you turn, please, with me to John chapter 12. You can use your apps or your Bibles, or you can read along on the screens. Starting with verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was attended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Think back to that dinner party, that amazing dinner party to honor Jesus. Lazarus is there. Lazarus, who had been dead and buried, was now alive, breathing eating, enjoying the party. Martha was there, serving. And Mary, Mary was there and then did something outrageous. She anointed Jesus' feet with her hair. Last week, Pastor Jim talked to us about how she completely humiliated herself in that act. She broke all social convention, she would have lost all respect, but she didn't care as she humbly poured everything out before Jesus. All the perfume, all her heart. She was all in, sold out, a follower of Jesus. Linger in that sacred moment Imagine the fragrance filling the house. Imagine all of that honor and love poured out to your Lord. And then into that sacred space, Judas spoke. 
Judas looked at that act of Mary's, that act of outrageous love. And Judas responded. His response was outrage. Judas was outraged by what Mary did. Now, he didn't say he was outraged. He was much more conventional in his response. He asked an innocent question. Why wasn't that money used for the poor? It sounds concerned. It sounds like good stewardship. It sounds like a, a disciple who's trying to put things together in his mind. He's just asking. But John wants us to know that that doesn't come from that place in Judas. That there was more going on. And Matthew and Mark tell us that he asked the question in a different way. He said, why was that perfume wasted? That is a value judgment disguised as a question. Judas was morally outraged. He was offended. He thought this was beyond all appropriateness, that this should not have happened. And underneath that question is criticism towards Mary and towards Jesus. Mary, you should not have done that. Jesus, you should not have let her do that. Shame on you both. And under that was a subtext to the question. Jesus, you're not worth that much perfume. It's amazing, isn't it, how much we can pack into a polite question? Jesus responded as only Jesus could. First, he affirmed Mary's action. He said, let her be. She has anointed me for my death. And in Matthew and Mark, he goes further. He says, truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. He's marking the moment. He's saying this is a defining moment. Savor this. And then Jesus answers Judas' question. He didn't just brush it off. He didn't reprimand Judas. He actually took Judas' question seriously. And he started to talk about the poor. He affirmed the commands to care for the poor. Now, that may not be obvious to you in the text. What John says is that Jesus said, you will always have the poor among you. And for us, we can say, well, that kind of sounds flippant or dismissive or resigned to poverty. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we should do. There's nothing we need to do. But actually, Jesus was affirming 
the Old Testament commands to care for the poor. What he said was the first half of a verse from Deuteronomy, which reads, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-hearted towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needing in the land. So he was saying to Judas, those commands still stand. Give and give generously. Work hard, be open-hearted towards those who are poor and needy in your land. But then Jesus does one more thing. He drew the focus back to himself and to his death. He said, the poor you will always have with you. You will not always have me. Focus on me. I have often wondered, did Mary understand? Did Mary know what she was doing that day? Maybe, maybe not. Commentators vary widely on this. They're pretty unanimous that Mary knew that time was short. Jesus had already talked about his death. The disciples already knew his life was at stake. In fact, before Jesus went to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he said, let us go to him, Thomas said, let us also go, that we may die with him. To some level, everyone who was following Jesus knew what was ahead even if they weren't able to articulate that or to embrace that. Some commentators think that Mary was uniquely able to recognize what was ahead, had uniquely listened and internalized that Jesus himself knew that he, it was necessary for himself to die that he knew that that was his purpose. And that through her anointing Jesus, she was affirming that and honoring that and saying, I'm, I'm with you. All the way, I'm with you. And those commentators believe that she poured out her perfume as a deliberate act of anointing Jesus for the death that was coming because she knew that there might not be an opportunity to do that when the time came. And she wanted to do it at a time that Jesus could savor that honor, that love. Other commentators are not quite so sure that Mary knew all of that. Other commentators point out that Nard, while it was sometimes a little bit used, for anointing bodies for burial, that it was used in many other contexts as well. It was used medicinally. It was used to flavor beverages. It was used as a perfume, as a room fragrance, that there were many uses for nard, and that there was no evidence of other 
occasions where nard was used in such quantities to prepare a body for burial. They also point out that the more common spices used for preparing bodies for burial were myrrh and aloe. That's what Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus used after the crucifixion. And so those commentators believe that Mary may have been just as surprised as the disciples when Jesus took her act of outrageous love and claimed it for his own purposes and invested it with meaning that she wasn't even aware of. Sometimes Jesus does that. Sometimes we don't know all of what's behind what we do. What we do know is that this was an act of outrageous love and that Mary would have chosen to do that, that she knowingly humiliated herself as she humbled herself before Jesus, as she poured out all of the perfume, all of her heart. And we do know that at that moment, her focus was entirely on Jesus. Now, asking whether Mary knew what she was doing raises another question for me. Did Judas know what he was doing? We don't know. John doesn't tell us. Judas's response might have seemed very appropriate to him. It might have seemed appropriate to many in the room Matthew and Mark said many were wondering about this. But only Judas felt compelled to speak. Only Judas spoke into that sacred, holy moment. Why? Why? What triggered him? Why, why wasn't he able to just sit there and savor that honor, that love being poured out to Jesus? Why wasn't he comfortable enough to just wait to see how Jesus would respond and how things would unfold? Why did he feel like he needed to say something? Sometimes we don't know our own motives. Sometimes we don't know or recognize that we're being triggered by something. That our response to something that's happening or something that somebody else is doing, that, that that is more about us rather than about them. That that in some way, something inside of us is uncomfortable. Somewhere we're feeling threatened. And we don't recognize that. And, and so we, we just say what needs to be said. And, and what is said sometimes sounds very thoughtful and very caring. But we don't hear the little tinge of criticism that underlies that comment. We don't hear the little bit of judgmentalism that is coming out from us. We don't know. We don't recognize it. We're not that self-aware 
What was it that triggered Judas so that he had to speak? Was it that Mary's wholehearted devotion drew his attention to his own half-heartedness? We don't know. We don't know what Judas was thinking. We don't know what Judas knew. We do know that this was an important moment for Judas. We do know that at this point, something happened to Judas. Because Matthew and Mark tell us that right after the anointing, Judas went out and started exploratory conversations with the Jewish leaders to see how much they hypothetically might give him were he to betray Jesus. He was just asking. He didn't do anything at that point. But the anointing of Jesus by Mary was a defining moment for Judas. Not the defining moment, but a defining moment. And it was a defining moment when his focus was not on Jesus. It was on Mary. It was on the perfume. It was on the poor. It was anywhere, everywhere, except on Jesus. And at that moment, Jesus drew his focus back onto him and his death. He drew his focus back onto outrageous grace. Well, asking about Judas makes us ask about ourselves. What about us? Do we know what we are doing? Are we aware of what lies behind some of our reactions? Are there times where what comes out of our mouth is triggered not by something that happens, but by an unrecognized reaction within ourselves? Some place that we feel uncomfortable, some place that we feel threatened. Where is it that you feel a little critical? Where is it that you are not satisfied with something? Could it be that your focus is not on Jesus? Jesus said, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. We know what that meant back there when he said that to his disciples and Judas. He was saying, the, and, and to Mary and everybody else at the party, he was saying, my death is coming, and I'm going to be gone from you. But, but we live on this side of the resurrection. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the abiding presence of Jesus in our lives every day. I cannot fathom what it would be like to not have that experience. But sometimes, 
Familiarity can breed complacency. Sometimes our focus can drift away from Jesus and his death, can drift away from grace, can drift towards half-heartedness, and we may not even notice that that is happening. We are not that self-aware. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? It can be appropriate to go to the Lord and to ask him to reveal to you what's behind your actions, your reactions. Could there be some drift from outrageous love? For example, many good things can cause us to take our focus just a little bit off Jesus. Good things, good things. Jesus, you know I am wholeheartedly devoted to you, but, but you know how busy I am with the kids, with the grandkids, with the job, with my weekend plans, with my weeknight commitments, I'm so busy. We're good, right? We can check in later, right? What does your calendar say? Is your focus on Jesus? Is your focus wholeheartedly on Jesus with your family? Or do things they do irritate you? How about in your job? Do you get offended by something? Is your focus wholeheartedly on Jesus and on grace. How about this morning in the worship service? Has anything, anything distracted you just a little bit this morning? The room is too cold. The room is too hot. The music's too loud. The music's too soft. I don't like the songs. I don't like the sermon. I don't like the hour. I don't like the bats. In fact, <laughs> this church isn't meeting my needs, so I'm going to stop coming. Focus is on anything, everything, other than Jesus. Jesus draws our attention back to himself. He draws our focus back to himself and to his death. He draws his attention back to grace. Last week, we noticed that when Mary poured that perfume over Jesus, it drenched his hair and his clothing. He carried that fragrance with him all the days ahead, all the way to the cross. When Mary poured that perfume on Jesus, she then wiped his feet with her hair which means that Mary's hair was saturated with that perfume. She carried that fragrance with her everywhere she went the days ahead. Everywhere she went, Mary smelled like Jesus. Judas, not so much. With Judas, there was a whiff of something else. <laughs> Are you like Mary? Have you experienced outrageous grace? 
Are you wholeheartedly following Jesus? As you live your life, does the fragrance of grace permeate where you are? Do you smell like Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the words of the psalm, search me, O Lord, and know my ways. See if there is any evil way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Sometimes, Lord, we don't know what it is we are doing. Sometimes we don't recognize a drift towards half-heartedness. And so we give ourselves to you to worship you fully because you are worth it. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.